Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavna. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday, the 9th of the 10th. It has been another glorious day in that nothing bad has happened to me. Michael, we have a quick note before we go into our uh, traditional broadcasting. Yes. I've got a bone to pick with you. Which bone? The best kind of bone, the kind of bone that comes from a listener calling in to tell me that you've made a mistake. Seems unlikely, but go ahead. Apparently, in your la- in the last episode, you described Forrest as the longest established and best known anti-smoking lobby in the United Kingdom and across the world. I meant Ash, did I? I, I think you did mean Ash. I think Forrest is actually a pro-smoking group. It, it is indeed. Its full name is the Freedom Organization for the Right to Enjoy Tobacco. It's a pro-smoking uh, lobby group. And I think just, just as importantly, you also referred to Public Health UK, which apparently doesn't exist. And I assume you meant Public Health England, although that's also, you know... I was about to say, if, if Public Health UK doesn't exist, Public Health England is about not to exist. Because there is a perception that, while it's very sound on the whole vaping thing, that it hasn't perhaps performed in a stellar fashion. Wasn't it, uh, wasn't it Public Health England that miscounted the COVID deaths because all of the columns on the Excel sheet had uh, filled up and no one noticed? You know what, Gary? It's very easy to criticise. Fun, too. You know? Um, I would like to know the country in the world that hasn't changed its methodologies regarding counting COVID deaths. And it's all very well for the smarty pants who can manage to get all their numbers in the same columns. But I can remember in the old, the new spreadsheets on uh, on uh, Office are far more difficult to use than the old spreadsheets. So, you know, I think that it's perfectly understandable that human beings will make errors. To start off with, there's a story that we might talk about on Sunday, but it just happened, so I just want to mention it, and we'll talk about it on Sunday because stuff is developing, and I want to get back to it. In the same way, I want to get back to that uh, ice hysterectomy story, which we may talk about on Sunday as well, Yeah. because it looks like information has finally come out of that, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you'll all be shocked. So, someone, a plot was hatched, to kidnap the governor of Michigan, a woman called Gretchen Whitmer. Okay. Uh, by a group with a absolutely ridiculous name. It was a militia group called the Wolverine Watchmen, which just makes me think of the Wombles for some reason. Does it? I wouldn't have thought Wombles at all. I immediately thought, like, Wolverine and Watchmen, Genesis story, the Redux or something, involving, I don't know, the guy from Star Trek? Eh, possibly. So, let's start with an obvious point here. It is wrong to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Almost always. Some will argue it's wrong to kidnap any governor of any state. Lunatics may argue it's wrong to kidnap anyone, but, I mean, let's not go too far. No, no, no. However, Michigan is really interesting because Michigan has had a state of emergency for a good while. The problem there is this. On April... The Michigan's legislation, which is a Republican majority legislation, chose not to extend the governor's emergency powers. Right. So the governor, then, who is a Democrat, declared that it didn't matter what the legislation said. She had the power under the Emergency Management Act uh, to basically self-perpetuate the state of emergency. Now, the attorney general of Michigan, who on totally unrelated news is also a Democrat said that she was 100% right. Oh, well, there you go. 
Now, you might be shocked, Michael, but the GOP then filed lawsuits about that, arguing things like tyranny and maybe let's not do this right now. But when ruling on an unrelated case on October the 2nd, Michigan Supreme Court basically invalidated all of her executive orders since April 30th, which is when the legislation said they were no longer going to extend the emergency powers. Mm -hmm. And basically the governor came out and said, she didn't say she was going to as such ignore the Supreme Court, but that she would need clarity on it and that um, that ruling didn't take effect for a number of days anyway. And it basically looked like they figured out they could issue other rulings that would have effectively the power of an executive order. Now, Michael, that rightfully pissed people off, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, there is a point at which you stop looking like the governor using the available tools given to you by the Constitution and by legislation. You start looking by somebody who's just making it up as you go along. Yeah, so what, what happened is the Michigan Department of Health and Human Service can issue these things called epidemic orders. And it looked like Whitmer was basically going to have the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services issue these orders to basically be executive orders. And it looks like that was what led this militia to decide, well, we're just going to kidnap the governor. Now, I want to wait to Sunday because I want to see what comes out about this story. Yeah. But when I looked at it first, I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. You can't just kidnap the governor. And then when I looked into it slightly more because... I kind of recalled I'd heard something about the Supreme Court there and overreach of powers. Kind of changed the story slightly. So we'll wait a few days to see this settle and then we'll come back to it. For the sake of clarity, we should point out that they didn't actually kidnap the governor. They didn't. No, it was a plot. It was a plot. No, and the other observation I will make here, and I want to... Maybe a caper. (laughs) A caper, yeah. I want to emphasise that here uh, in the EBI, we hold a strongly anti-kidnapping position. But, you know, debt to tyrants, Michael. Well, sick, sick, uh, was it sick tyrant, semper tyrant, tyrannous? Uh, as, uh, not, maybe that's not the best example, of course, that John Wilkes Booth maybe wasn't sort of, the, he's not the kind of guy you want to wall, you want. But the United States, one of the principles out of which the United States was born, and a principle which was very, very popular in the old Enlightenment that they call, they talk about in the, in the 18th century, was the principle of the right of tyrannicide, with the right to uh, assassinate, to kill, to execute a tyrant. Now, I would actually make the point that the right for a people to rise up against tyrannical government was a right which was recognised as a natural right in Catholic theology in the Middle Ages, going back in before the, before the 10th century. So it's not actually a particularly enlightenment kind of a thing. And I would make the point that as far as we have seen, these people were planning on kidnapping, not on uh, assassinating the person. So you could even argue that in the context of American political history and philosophy, they were being taking the softer course rather than the more extreme course. But there is a reasonable point here. What do you do when somebody just says no, when you have, when they, you have apparently exhausted the the, 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 the ways available to you in law to stop them doing something and they just say I'm, no, I'm not going anywhere now a concern has been expressed of this nature that 
Mr. Trump, President Donald Trump, might try and do the same thing. Might just and that worries them a, a lot, you know. But it seems to me that if they're very worried about Mr. Trump doing that kind of thing, then they should take rather a hard line on somebody actually doing that kind of thing. Uh, in this case, in Michigan. However, we shall await further details about the situation as it expires. And I, I, I say again, because I know that people need to hear these things a lot, very much not in favour of the kidnapping as a political vehicle, a political tool. No to kidnapping. Almost always. Almost always, I think, is, is the important line there. Well, you know, prudence, you know, we have to be prudential about these things. You, you, you never know what might happen. But it's an interesting one, and we were, I think we should come back to it. Yes, no, once we get a bit more information on it, I think we can we can talk a little bit more about it. It'll be curious to see the exact reasoning behind the militia response here, and if it was just a random conspiracy to overthrow a governor, or if it was a case of um, they effectively thought that she was tyrannical in some sense. Uh-huh. Very happily tyrannical, though. Yes. Like she doesn't look like a woman who could really bring the iron fist down on you. Right, okay. Um, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I'll take your ordinance. Catherine the Great. <laughs> oh, no, let's not go there. Something I, I saw in the... Uh, there was a conference recently, Michael, an architect's conference. Oh, And you know how, you know how troublesome architects get when they get together? Gee, can you imagine it? Particularly in the modern world. Modern architects... A group of people more generally responsible for more wickedness than almost any other group of people. And yet, they get paid large amounts and they, get, they drive Volvos and have nice suits. Can you imagine what the conferences must be like? It would be like much like, I suspect, the waiting room to hell. It would be like an architect's con modern architect's conference. But we, we've said before that the, the modern world, modern prosperity, is built on cheap energy fundamentally not data not any of that shit cheap energy that is a very very large part of it i think there are other things but certainly yes it's a very big chunk of it is a well there's there's i think you're right there's other things but i think the fundamental block is cheap energy and i include in that energy for human consumption yes both like, the human body needs energy to move to do things as well and that's perfect the agricultural side of things it's all energy but it was nice to see these architects agree with me that uh, energy is the fundamental building block of prosperity. And in many cases, uh, I'd say liberty, because I don't think it's freedom as such. And basically, at this conference, an architect stood up and they were talking about how to make Dublin fairer. And this architect said that um, private car use is a fantasy built on the idea that we can all move around on a whim. Travelling around the country in private cars is a fantasy that is built, built on cheap oil, and that is on the way out. Now, they were arguing for the permanent pedestrianisation of large parts of Dublin uh, due to this. But uh, it was nice to have someone agree with me, Michael, that the ability to move around the country in private cars and to do all these things, that is built on you know, cheap energy. I don't want to be picky. You know, it's not me. But can I just make one small observation at the beginning? He's described... He says it's a fantasy. Well, firstly, Michael, it's a woman. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, so I'm not sure if you misgendered them, or that was some sort of sexist stereotyping about architects. I don't know what the, what the correct pronouns. I don't know this individual's 
pronoun preferences. I, uh, well, the Irish Times says she, and I count on them to be absolutely up to date on the uh, on her pronoun preference. I wonder how long will the will the will the Times keep using that kind of binary language? But anyway, she describes it as a fantasy. Gary, I'm fairly sure that this is actually what's happening at the moment in Ireland. That there are indeed people getting into privately owned cars and just driving them. I, I'm fairly sure that's happening. Now, my understanding of fantasy is that it's like a, a dream, a, a non-reality, something that we imagine when we are either perhaps deep in the arms of Morpheus or perhaps stimulated by some plant substance that we would perhaps shouldn't be taking because it's not it's a listed substance by the police uh, i i don't see how it's a fantasy i can tell you gary right now in places like wexford and mayo and kerry there are people in cars driving along the roads at a whim is, is the arms of morpheus not a reference to opium uh, no morpheus is that would just anybody being asleep well, yeah, no, I, I, I know of the god, but is that not like is that not lingo for opium? Uh, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Morpheus, I suppose, is connected to morphine, uh, but I think that's because they derived the, the name of the drug from the name of the god rather than it's because the the drug is a, is a narcotic, and makes people it's sleep. But no, I think just deep in the arms of Morpheus. I mean. If you want to pick another god of sleep, Gary, and go with that, I'm happy. I'm not married to Morpheus. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not picking on your choice of gods. I was just curious if you'd ever done opium. No, no, not to my knowledge. Who amongst us would know if we had done opium? Though having known people who've done opium, I apparently it is rather spectacularly clear if you were on opium. I know an uncle of mine when he had an operation and he was in the. He was in Aden at the time, what what today would be Yemen, and I can't remember the there was a the the normal anesthesia or whatever wasn't available, and he ended up getting full of I don't know if it was pharmaceutical heroin, and he said and I, and he said it was uh, he said it was spectacularly pleasant. He could see that people were regarded as very Moorish indeed. Yes, I mean, from the work I did with drug addicts, I didn't hear a bad word heard about the immediate effects of heroin. And they all agreed that it was exceptionally mirish, like a, like a thin mint, I think. That's the great thing about alcohol, you see. That's why uh, people don't, you know, recognise what a really good drug alcohol is. Alcohol will give you a kicking immediately you start to drink alcohol. If you, if you, if you drink alcohol bad, to excess, alcohol will kick your head around and murder your stomach and your guts almost immediately. So it's very good at giving you immediate signals of saying, oh, be nice to me. Other drugs don't do that, and I'm told opium is one of them. But uh, why, are we, why are we talking about opium, Gary? Oh, because you were talking about fantasies. Yeah. How is this also by the... the really, she also... Do you notice the way she smuggled in... Uh, an incorrectitude there. She talked a fantasy built, I think, in the in the original. She, she she refers to a fantasy based on cheap oil. Yeah. Mm. Now she does. It's worth pointing out that the price of petroleum, when the first combustion engines were being constructed, was vastly more expensive than it is today. When people were barely able to get it out of the ground, 
the notion I, I, I see people writing about, oh, we're going to go back up to $200 a barrel and stuff. But the fact is fracking and the discoveries of the frackable sources and the use of the tar, tar pits, etc., etc., in North America, in Canada and all over the gaff have meant we are never going to be looking again, barring wars or something, at, at oil climbing up to like $150, 160 a barrel. It's always going to be it's going it's going to be in and around a certain price, so it's and also there is lots and lots and lots of it in normal time. And by the way, for anybody out there, if you're looking at what considering what to get for your your uh, your winter fuel, have a look at the price of oil house oils. Very reasonable at the moment. But an interesting thing about her point is that she doesn't take into account electric cars, or she does, but they still use a lot of petroleum products. And therefore, she is basically saying that they're also on the way out. But th there is a there is a solid point here. There is a reason why we are talking about this lunatic of an architect, despite the fact that these views are very popular in the profession uh, at the minute. But they are primarily uh, the pretty mainstream green views. Well, they're absolutely right that there that this requires cheap sources of energy. The only way that this can be continue is with cheap sources of energy. If we move to more expensive forms of energy. You mean like re renewable sources, for example, like yeah, what they want? Yeah, yeah. There, there will be that problem that they run into where the cost of the consumer and the cost of business is just higher. And yes, there have been places where they have managed to go below the cost of other forms of energy, but generally with massive subsidies from the state, yes. which is money taken from people so doesn't really count, because you can't run those indefinitely, as I think the Irish state is going to figure out about electric cars in about a year or two. I don't know, maybe this goes well together with Eamon Ryan's idea of releasing the wolves, which I think is the one policy I've ever agreed with him on. That and reforestation, but that kind of links into the wolves. I, 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 I was disappointed not to hear a little bit more congratulations uh, um, being given to Poland which has committed to a much greener energy future, Gary. Um, and uh, I, I had expected that green commentators and green politicians would uh, would be, be excited about that. It is, Poland has committed to phasing out coal as its principal source of energy, even though Poland contains quite a bit of coal. And yet, uh, not a word that have I seen. It's going to build six nuclear reactors by 2040. Yes, but Poland is ruled by a bad government and therefore we can't say anything positive about Poland. This is true and also we're not massively in love with nuclear power, are we? We are. We're using it. I mean, we will import the hell out of it. We just don't want it here. This is true. This is true. And we don't want people to know we're using it. And ideally it would be like an urchin that you keep in your basement good upstanding people just wouldn't discuss it no matter how much banging comes from the stairs <laughs> yes more to your god but Gary not that one likes to generalise stereotype or caricature when you listen to that comment does it not the, the as they was by Dublin phrase, the bang of privilege and entitlement of it it does have a, a very very clear upper middle class, urban dweller, I live close enough to cycle to everything I need to, kind of thing. I cycle or I walk to my office, I cycle or I walk to, 
down to to Donnybrook Fair to pick up my organic prosciutto. What do you think the chances that she received a round of applause after that statement? I'd say the chances are between 99 and 100%. The, the only person the Irish Times notes as saying something against this is a disability campaigner for who basically said, those are all brilliant suggestions, but what about people who can't walk very far? But I would like to think, Michael, that there's a class of people before the disabled, like a larger percentage of the population, who might be mildly inconvenienced by the removal of all private transportation. You mean like the million, the couple of million of people who aren't living in South Dublin? Unless, of course, Michael, we're not going to remove it. We're going to just tax it heavily because it's something that shouldn't be done, and therefore only the wealthy will be able to use it. People in this sort of architect social class who can be trusted on to only use their private transportation when absolutely needed and wouldn't, you know... I I look into the future, Gary, and, and I see roads in Ireland covered with nothing but Teslas. Teslas, and maybe, actually, I don't know if you saw the latest Lamborghini, which is going to be electric-powered, has incredible technology with batteries that are going to go even into the doors. And, you know, I, I think a snip at 1.2 or 1.3 million. And you know what, Gary, if people really, really want a car, well, they'll just to buckle down and set up their own architectural practice. Mm-hmm. Or pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's their own fault. Nobody asked them to live in West Clare, you know. I wonder when Cirque du Soleil is coming back to Ireland. That's all the phrase, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, <laughs> makes me think of. Because they actually can do that. It's a very good show if you've ever been. It's also a very good show if you've never been. No, I, yeah, and frankly, if I go to something that has the word circus in the title, and I don't get a tiger and an elephant, I'm going away disappointed. It might also be unfair, but when I read this, the first thing that came to my mind is... I bet this woman is a Green Party. Member. I would swear that this member, this woman is a potential Green Party candidate, and she isn't. She should bloody well be signed up. She should be signed up now. It remind me of. It did remind me of Eamon Ryan's suggestion that in the future what we'd see is we'd see a couple of common cars in rural areas. Yeah, it'll be like the good old gigs, Gary. When you only you not. Everybody would have, say, an oven in their house, but there would be a couple of village ovens and everybody would go down and they would put their bread into the village ovens. And while they were there, they would have the village washing place where the stream would be diverted and you'd have these uh, these rocks set up where you could beat your your, your washing on, on the stones. Obviously, with detergents that were going to be kind to the water wouldn't be polluting because we want to get rid of things like washing machines and washer dryers and things because they're very, very heavy on energy and they use all sorts of nasty detergents. And it's a social thing, Gary. It would be bring all the people together. And let's face it, they wouldn't have jobs anyway, so they might as well do something with their with their time. I mean, some of your children may die of tuberculosis, uh, possibly from the badgers. Yeah, you know, Gary, I'd, I'd say if we're going to go down, go the whole hog, well, let's, it won't be just TB. There'll be, the, there'll be a bit, if there's, if there's any polio hanging around or maybe measles. Because let's face it, vaccination isn't going to be top of the list. No, I mean, Michael, those are living things too. And it's speciest of us to prioritise human life. And also, vaccines are very energy intensive to produce. They've got a really large carbon footprint. And if those children survived, they would, again, just produce more carbon. So, you know, this is, this is the green option. Gaia ultimately must be allowed to self-regulate. Also, this, I will bet you this woman is the worst kind of Green Party member. The kind with children. 
Well, that's an that that's a low blow. That's a terrible thing to say about a, somebody with children. Mm, I don't know. Bright spark of the Green Party, because you look at them and you just sort of go, "Okay, that's stupid and anti-human." But in a generation, you'll all be dead. They don't breed. Yeah, but no, this is the sort of upper middle class Green Party member who doesn't quite believe in it to the extent required to inconvenience themselves like that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I know nothing about her. It's just a feeling. As you know, Gary, we both agree it's the hypocrisy that's the worst thing. But speaking about the worst thing, Michael, there was a vote on the Dying with Dignity bill recently. So let's, let's discuss this. So the Dying with Dignity bill has gone to the next stage. It's gone to committee stage. And I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about the bill itself. Because whatever you think about it. No, I, no, hold on, I just want to, just, I'll quickly interject on the bill itself. Just one observation. It would be pleasant if the person putting forward a bill had a fucking bogey of a clue what was in the bill. It would instill a little bit more confidence in the, in the public. But when they go, they go on and they patently haven't a notion what's in their own fucking bill, a bill which is going to dict, is going to is going to mandate the life and death of people in this country in the future. Well, then I think that it behove you to read the thing. But that's just listen, Gary, little rant over there. We'll move on. Before the the bill itself was put forward, and this is an important bill for some of the more socially conservative members of Parliament and some of the more socially conservative people in the country and those who are just generally concerned that this will spiral out of control like some sort of terrible whirling thing you mean like it like it has the other places you know i had an amusement ride in my head and as i got halfway through the sentence it went and i got to terrible spiraling thing okay let's call it belgium (laughs) i mean i've never heard belgium described as a terrible spiraling thing but yeah sure we'll work with that You've never been to Belgium? I have, actually. It's hard to notice, but you kind of sense that you're not in a real country the entire time. Before the bill went forward, there was an amendment put forward. Now, the amendment would have kicked this thing into... So it's gone to committee stage, but this would have basically set up a special committee to look at it. And probably would have been there for about a year. During which time the government may have fallen or would have at least given campaigners against this bill time to... Uh, react to it or time to change public opinion because by the polling that the Irish Times put out there the other day about 52% are in favour of this legislation or sorry not this legislation specifically but the idea that someone should be uh, able to take their own life in a medically uh, in a medical situation and there was a big debate amongst TDs socially conservative TDs or just TDs who aren't socially conservative but are have some issues with against killing people against, against doctors killing people in hospitals there were a couple of you know there's a back and forth and what was ultimately decided was that voting for the amendment was the best option because that would kick it into the committee then it might die there it, in the year the government might fall anything could happen and then it got to the actual vote and people panicked Now, I don't know exactly why they'll panic, but I think it is due to this. There is a certain sect of people who, if they had voted yes to the amendment, would have then attacked them for being not conservative enough, that they should have voted no to everything. 
that nothing was good enough. Purity. Purity had to be maintained. They had to be Simon pure. They had to be absolutely perfect. And this would have in some way impugned their credentials as being absolutely pro-life. Now, there may have been other reasons, but that would be what I would think is the major reason to a lot of these people. So Eamon O'Keeve then comes out and says he's not going to vote for the amendment. He's going to vote it down. And he does. And it looks like, I'm not sure if we would be right to say they panicked, but a lot of the people who had, I talked to some of them before this and I heard some of the conversations, had said they were going to go for the amendment, switched to against the amendment. And the amendment fails 86 to 65. So none of the independent group, sorry, one of the independent group voted for it, four didn't. Six of the rural independent group voted against it. Eight of the nine regional group voted against it. And 12 of the Finna Fallers voted against it. Now that's interesting, given that I believe only four of the Finna Fallers voted for the actual bill. That's correct. So there were absolutely the numbers there to put this thing into committee, to, to get it out of the way, not into committee stage, but just out of the way. And that didn't happen. The amendment was voted down. It went to a straight vote on the bill and the bill goes through. That is going to move forward at a relatively high speed. Oh, yeah. This, for a variety of reasons, tactical and strategic, those people who want to see this enacted are going to try and push this to go as fast as they possibly can. Leaving aside tactical issues, I say one basic reason is they know that this bill is opposed by the vast majority of doctors who specialise in palliative palliative medicine in Ireland. It's opposed by the hospice movement and it's opposed by the, the, the Royal College of Physicians. And if those groups were to be sufficiently mobilised and became sufficiently present in the in the media, in the press, on the telly, wherever, I they, I think they have a genuine worry that this actually could be defeated. So the the less time, the less oxygen that this gives, and the more amorphous the idea is, the more ambiguous and unformed and incoherent it seems, the more likely you are to get public support. So I think they will try. They they want to get this done as quickly as possibly can, which is, by the way, fucking shameful. It is absolutely sh- leaving aside what position you might have on this issue. Anybody, any serious deliberative body, any serious parliament would look at this and recognise this is not something that you want to push through for the sake of pushing it through. This is something you should want to get right to hear all the arguments, to hear the medical experts, to hear the experience of other countries and to make a reasonable, reasoned judgment, not simply to achieve a win. And that's, it seems to me, what is going on here a lot of the time. It's bloody disgraceful. Well, yes, the debate on the bill was worth noting in its own thing, in the way it was rammed through. But here's here's my point on this. This should not have happened. This had been set up not to happen. Yeah. And it still happened. And now there are two, appear to be two schools of thought on this. One is that the TDs were right to vote against it and it was important to show opposition. I'm not of that school of thought. I think it would have been better for the bill to have gone away for a while where other things could be put in place and it could be dealt with. And by voting against the amendment, the TDs who desperately do not want this bill to come in, who are legitimately concerned by it, 
have almost certainly caused it to come in. And that didn't need to happen at all. Are you, are you, it, it, it has the look of, I mean, it's a, a burky and cliche maybe, but this is a case where the perfect has been the enemy of the good. No, I, I, I just, it, it actually, it, it annoys me immensely because I know a lot of the people who were involved in this and they are good people. I'm not saying anything about them as people, but this was silly. Like this was at best silly. This, let's face it, this was shooting your foot off with your own pistol. This was literally, this was cutting your nose off to spite your face. This was any cliche you want. If it was, I don't like, because I absolutely know that the people involved are sincere and genuine and principled. But ultimately, if you care about this subject, you'd have to say that there is something a little bit self-indulgent about this. Or as panicked, I don't know why else, but I mean, an unkind reading would see this as, oh, I want to keep my hands clean. I'm going to keep my hands clean. Other people can get their hands dirty, but my hands will be clean. And that's unfortunate. Very unfortunate from my perspective. This was going one way, largely, before O'Keeve said he was going to vote it down. But O'Keeve didn't, from what I can see, didn't try and convince people to go with him. At least not in any systemic way. People just decided to go with him. And it just, it seems to show just an abject lack of leadership. And I don't mean on a party level. I mean just any coalescing between one TD who is able to carry some of the others. They were given an option to stop this. That they, to be honest, we had done nothing to deserve. It was given basically as a way to just let this happen. To, to kick this out to committee and stop it from happening for a while. And we pissed it away, basically. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it is what... It, at this stage, it is what it is. But yes, it's... There was... There was a lack of coordination, a lack of coherence, a lack of discipline. But it has been lost. Now, let's see. What can be done... Uh, what can be done at this stage? It's it's going to go to committee. It's, it's it's going. They're going to try and push this as hard as they can. It's already gone through the first stage. So yeah, I, where are the numbers to stop this? I th- I think that well, we we shall see. I think it, the the speed at which it gets to committee, it may be slower to get to and through committee than they think. There may be possibilities in the Shannon to slow it down. And the big thing will be, you don't actually need to change that many TDs. The, 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 you got 71 TDs voting against the bill, right? Gary, this is Ireland. You don't need that much to happen in the media. You don't need to have that much going on to, to, to turn in. If you can get some kind of, if you can get some kind of reasonable campaign, I think principally led by the by the medical profession uh, here. If you can get that, go- if you can get a reasonable campaign there going, I think you c- you can target and you can flip enough TDs. I don't think this is a done deal. I I wouldn't like to be putting a lot of money on it, but I don't think it's a done deal. No, but the things you say would also have been true and more so. Absolutely, I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that at all. It would have been much much better 
had we had this been postponed for a year. I think that it's in this area, and I am abs I'm confident I may be misplaced, but that on the experience, the international experience, on the experience of our closest neighbours and culturally, most our closest parliament, Westminster, and looking at the medical profession there and the medical profession here, the longer this was this was just debated, the more the bill, this particular bill, was picked and picked apart, then the better it was. Absolutely, There's, I don't doubt that. This was a very serious error, a, a, a failure, a mistake. I don't know what you want to call it, but it, it. I haven't had time to talk to any of the people involved in this. I thought. Last night, I thought this was settled. Everyone was going for the amendment. I went to the gym. I come home. The amendment has failed. The bill has gone through. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, what? What happened in in the last hour? What? What will be actually be interesting is when I do have a chance to talk to some of these people, whether or not they'll just say, like, we fucked up, or this happened for this reason, or whether they'll try and spin this as a positive. Mistakes happen. And things happen for a reason, but if they try and go, well, you know, this is this was the right thing to do, I'm not sure I can contain myself. Well, it's deep breath and count to ten. But sorry, before we close on that, I just want to just to, because you're, you know, just to cheer you up even more. Uh, I, 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 know, I know we shouldn't be annoyed by these things and people essentially are trolling. Michael O'Regan, you know, our dear, that dear friend and colleague in Michael O'Regan, that fine journalist. A former small mystery was, of Irish life. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Anyway, he tweeted, or retweeted with a comment, a tweet of Patsy McGarry. And Patsy tweeted, very simply, Catholic bishops warn against assisted suicide. Catholic bishops warn it will be difficult to draw the line on assisted suicide. Do you know what the comment of Michael O'Regan was? Patsy McGarry hates religion. No, the Pavlovian response of their lordships. The condes this the nasty, small-minded condescension. The Pavlovian response of their lordships. Catholic bishops oppose euthanasia. Is a Pavlovian response, Gary? It is not a response which comes out of an evolution of hundreds, if not. A more than a thousand years of Catholic philosophy, Catholic theology, Catholic thinking on the nature and sacredness of life, Catholic thinking on the nature of, in, of intentionality and act, on morality and immorality, the cat, on the nature of care and the nature of value. No, no, Gary, no, no, that's not, that's nonsense. Aquinas and people like that and Bertus Magnus and Descartes and Pascal and all that nonsense and rubbish and you know, bioethics and no 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 it's just it's a Pavlovian response of their lordships. There's no thinking going on here. There's it's just a Pavlovian. Oh look, we want all all we said we want is that we want to kill old people and sick people and look they immediately have this reflexive response like dogs salivating to the sound of a bell being rung how smug do you have to be how up your own arse do you have to be but that's just my observation you wouldn't want to be unkind to the man no indeed absolutely not but god I thought, the pavlovian response of their lordships they warn it will be difficult to draw a line on assisted suicide. 
how is how can you even debate that, that there's not a, at least a significant amount of truth to that? I think, Michael, that we can look at uh, O'Regan's response or we can just look at what allows that to happen, the weak horse nature of the Catholic Church. And for the listener, if they've never heard that phrase, the, the phrase is, uh, if you see a strong horse and a weak horse standing beside each other, it's human nature to like the strong horse and occasionally to kick the weak horse. The Catholic hierarchy in this in this country is is in tatters. They're totally unable to do anything. Oh, it's it's weak donkey time. Not even think about it. The, the statement from the Catholic bishops on an assisted suicide bill is: Well, it may be hard to draw the line. Now, I am not a religious man, Michael. I'm not a Catholic. I'm happy with pure apathyism, regardless of what the chairman of Atheist Ireland may say about my views. If you believe what Catholics are meant to believe, and what presumably, therefore, Catholic bishops believe, presumably, one would think your objection to assisted suicide would be, um, shall we say, slightly more robust than the line may be hard to draw. And on the assisted suicide, I'm absolutely open to conversation on this topic. I think suicide is far too important a subject to be left to the depressed. But there was no debate on this. And on this point, you would think they would be far stronger. What I think they need to do, Michael, is they need to look back into their history and draw some examples they can work on, on how they should relate to media and politicians. Uh, Personally, I would look back at how the uh, Christians learned to love their neighbour in Rome, the early years of Rome, Mm -hmm. and draw on that. Okay. Get out, get out. Go out and make some friends with some lions. Yeah, import some lines over, build some coliseums, throw Michael O'Regan in them. A tasty little snackerel indeed. Anyway, I interrupted. You're about to move on to other subjects, Carol. Oh, there was just one point I wanted to, to close on. It was a poll that the Irish Times has run on COVID restrictions. Yes. And, um, yeah, the majority of people believe that the restric- current level of restrictions are... Uh, so, well, not the majority of people, sorry. Under half, 45% say the current level of restrictions is about right, but 32% favour additional restrictions, which they don't list. So that could be anything up to close the restaurants and ending presumably at round up the infected and shoot them. I don't, I don't know. Oh, I think that's pretty well. Yeah, round up the infected and shoot them. Everybody. Do you remember, Gary? God, the good old days where we could laugh about these things. Do you remember when they, they, they released the those images of people being literally welded into their houses in China? Mm-hmm. I think that we have there's I think there's a there's a good thirty percent at this stage where they would be happy. Whether or not it's done deliberately or not, or maybe it's just as a latent certain part proportion of the population which is always going to be there i think there's around a third of the population which is so shit scared right now of this virus which is banging on their doors and desperately trying to get in and eat them that anything that was suggested would in the name of attacking and beating the virus would pretty would pretty well be acceptable to them i think that we have there's a core there now and they're not coming out that door i did uh, speaking of like when people are talking about things like the virus beating down the door and attacking them and humanizing a virus to an incredible extent. But I saw a headline in the Irish Examiner, uh, could have been uh, yesterday, I think, 
and it was coronavirus is holding gun to Boris Johnson's head. Sage <laughs> scientist says, and Michael, if the coronavirus is capable of holding a world leader at gunpoint, I just don't think we can beat that. No, I think at that stage we just. I mean, we're no longer the dominant species at that point. At that stage, Corona has has gone through the kind of evolution that you normally wouldn't see unless you were watching one of the better Star Trek movies. I mean, at 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 that point, our hope is our only hope is that it can't reload, because if it can, Michael, it's literally unstoppable. Or possibly salt water in the be- in the tradition of all the best sci-fi movies, when either the virus comes or the the strange plant or they they come in from outer space. There's always something that you never suspected. Something simple. Uh, Dave the Triffitts, I seem to remember, it was uh, spraying them with salt water, suddenly discovered. Um, and my personal favourite is it Mars Attacks. It was yodelling. <laughs> it, was, it was a country in Western yodelling blew, exploded their heads. Oh, yes, it was. Um, War of the Worlds, I think it was just oxygen. Uh, was it? Did they not catch a cold? Or could it could be microbes. Yes, yes. I think yes. I think they caught a cold in the war of the world, and maybe in this case it's something like um, I don't know, jazz by Yves Saint Laurent. That we all we all we have to well, do is again, Michael. If it's evolved to the point it now has musical tastes, I think we're fucked anyway. <laughs> you know, listen. Regardless of its views on jazz, just musical uh, tastes in as, general. As regards, we, we are. I honestly, I don't know. I mean, literally, I, this, I, I, I don't know. Should we close the country down? Should we open the country up? Should we just let everybody roll around naked and everybody else wrap themselves inside a sealed house and have their food delivered by helicopter? I, I don't know. I, but I do think that there's a certain a lack of coherence, a lack of consistency, which makes it hard to believe. Like, I remember when we were having this conversation long, long time ago, and I'm saying to you that it was my sense, my guesstimate was that when it came to the control of the virus, that social distancing, hygiene, hand washing, disinfecting and all that, that was the thing that actually was going to achieve the the very, very largest bit of the uh, the benefit for the controlling, that all the other things we did on that were going to be just, would be very small increments on t- on top. And I think that that's turned out to be pretty well what what has happened. That where we're seeing breakdowns in uh, and outbreaks, we're seeing we're seeing if and again they seem to be based on people failing to maintain correct social distancing. Or say if you're talking about uh, meat plants where the proper protocols are not in place, a lot of it the responses to it seem to be based on the idea well we have to be seen to do something and this looks like the kind of thing that we should be doing so let's do it uh, i don't know if you you saw it you probably didn't see it yet there was a phe report um on the pandemic the pandemic has in the united kingdom and looking at the sources for infection so one of the questions was you know should pubs be closed should restaurants be closed that kind of thing and they noted that in all of the cases uh, 5% of the cases where you had infections that close contact occurred in a leisure or a community setting or community so I mean it's it's a doubler so in, in, in that means that effectively in less than 5% of cases in the UK and I can't see that it's going to be that much different over here are you finding that these, these the contacts are occurring 
in places like pubs, restaurants and cafes. These are the problems, but it's, and now we've now got to the point where people are seriously talking about closing off licenses. Yes, I saw the Restaurants Association come out and say they were fully in support of that move. Well, that surprises me, doesn't it? Well, I mean, Adrian Cummins, uh, who's the the head of the Restaurants Association and the Restaurants Association, have actually been, they're fairly solid on these things. But if they're starting to turn on other sectors, well, you know, I work on a general rule, Michael, which is that if you call for the rights of others to be rescinded and you actively work to do so, yeah. and someone takes those rights away from you, I won't protest that. Don't be surprised when it happens. It's, I think it's, it's an unfortunate. Also, leaving aside the practicalities of the idea that, pe- that these young people, as we keep are being told it's young people having all these house parties that's causing all the spread. And I, I, maybe it is, but if it is, I would like someone to show me data tells me that that is actually the case. I haven't seen that data. Maybe it exists, and maybe it's true, and that's fine. But if it is, what are you going to do? You you're going to what? You're going to close all the off licenses. You're going to close. You're going to tell all the supermarkets that they have to stop selling drink. That it's going to be a blanket ban. Is that it? Or is it going to be? Are you going to just simply? limit the times that it's available are, are you are you going to stop people growing to that because gary at the heart of this is exactly the same kind of stupid thinking that happens when we talk about health health initiatives and their say minimum alcohol pricing and all that kind of stuff it's the belief that the consumer that they're directing at that it's been directed at is passive if they can't buy the gear in a supermarket. Gary, are you telling me that there w- that you will not create overnight a black market in booze? And secondly, there is also the alternative. You know, if you have this, you have the house party, Gary. Okay, booze is grand, but there are other stimulants available. That if you can't get booze, then you you may decide that you will go for other substances. People are not passive. Do you remember that rave that happened in uh, one of the flats in Dublin? Yes. Or in like the the social area between some of the flats in Dublin? Oliver Bond, was it? I, I don't know. I can't remember them. I was looking at the photos from that. And when you look at it, the ground is littered in these silver canisters. They are nitrous oxide. Uh, laughing gas would be, would be what they are. Uh, all over the ground. An incredible amount of them. But... So yes, there are certainly other options than drink, which may... But yes, that's not alcohol. No, and when we're blaming the young here, I, I think it may be slightly more than the young people here, Michael. Do you know what the unemployment rate is in Ireland now, just as a, an aside, Michael? Jeepers, I'm genuinely not a clue. The official unemployment rate, the last time I checked, was about 5%. All right. If you include all of those on pandemic unemployment payments... And employment protection schemes. Yeah. The adjusted unemployment rate in Ireland is about 22.5%. Ooh, not good. That means there's a lot of people, Michael, who have a lot more free time than they're used to. Like, a lot more free time than they're used to. Yeah, I just have a feeling that with an effective unemployment rate of over 20%, going to be very difficult to stop people getting drunk. Yeah, except... This was part of a narrative going on before that people were going, getting blotted. But actually, now, the numbers may be changed. 
But like a month, month and a half ago, I, I know that even with the summer, and generally people tend to drink more, uh, longer longer nights and drinking outside and barbecues and parties and things, that actually alcohol consumption had not gone up during the lockdown, the, the summer lockdown, in fact, had, had, had declined. There wasn't a great big problem with it. But I can guarantee you, if they do decide to close, do this with the with the the off licenses, right? And then we we see a some kind of a decrease, even though it'll probably be. In fact, I'm fairly sure that it will be the continuation of a trend. They will come out and beat their chests and say, "Look, we did that," and if it doesn't work, they'll come out and say, "We didn't do enough of it." we need to do now is to go around people's houses and collect any alcohol they have because what's happening is people have stocks of alcohol in their houses and they're using that to get drunk and have parties so we have to get rid of all the alcohol in people's houses because it's never enough i don't know on one hand it offers a wonderful once in a lifetime opportunity to try bathtub gin maybe that's the thing now they'll be <laughs> they'll be monitoring people to see who's ordering juniper berries on amazon <laughs> I, you would think that, but you'd be surprised what you can get on Amazon uh, for the production of narcotics that apparently is totally unwatched. I have no doubt. and In fact, well, no, I won't go into that. But I have no doubt that there are lots of things you can get through the post, Gary. Did you know, Michael, that you can order the root bark from which you make DMT over Amazon? I will confess that that was not something that I did know. And that you can then turn that into fully functioning DMT. Uh, of a very high quality, using an assortment of things you could pick up in your local hardware store. And a functioning kitchen. And a functioning kitchen, yes, uh, in an afternoon. Well, that's something for the weekend. Yes, that is something for the weekend. That's a project. We'll try that. I'll come back next, but it probably won't be this weekend, but maybe next weekend. We'd like to point out that it is the EBI's policy to not tell you to produce DMT in your kitchens. Absolutely. But if you wanted to, I'm just saying you could get it very easily. But we are taking a no-making-DMT-in-your-kitchen no position. No, but also you're adults. Do what you want. We're not police. No, exactly. Do the hell you want. Get drunk. I think legally we actually can't tell people to make DMT. I think that would, in fact, possibly be a crime in and of itself. I don't know. Incitement to making DMT. Incitement to the manufacturing of drugs, maybe? It's not a hate crime. Anyway, don't do it regardless of how easy it is to do, or the fact if you go onto Amazon, the reviews are just full of people talking about how great the colours are. <laughs> its its alternative usage is as a clothing dye. <laughs> so you can purchase it for that purpose, but it can also be repurposed into what is probably, to my knowledge, the most powerful psychedelic in existence. There you go. Alternatively, you could get some potatoes and make vodka. See, this is the sort of information I feel perfectly fine giving out because most of the people I've met who listen to the podcast are of a calibre where they're either not going to do it or they have enough money where if they do it, they're not going to prison. <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. Anyway, having given out that much advice, and, I, and before we basically dissolve into a, cons into a consumer advice programme, uh, <laughs> I think we'll, we, we, we'll take this opportunity to wish the people uh, well for the, for the rest of their, uh, the rest of their, we'll be back only shortly, back for our Sunday miscellany, hopefully, if my uh, internet still survives, but uh, otherwise, until then, I wish everybody well, mind yourselves, stay safe, stay sober, and don't go, 
Don't get drunk, basically, and start nicking people in the middle of the street, because that's what they want you to do. Do you think if I recommend if I pitched a consumer uh, affairs program to Gript, which is just here are the drugs you can make using products from Amazon? Do you think they'd go for it? Do you know? Um, no, is my sadly. I also suspect the answer would be no. However, what we I think what we need to do is work on the pitch and then just do the program. There's a whole whole area of fungi out there that we could get into. But anyway, as I said, let's leave that alone and, and just say goodbye to the nice people till Sunday. All the best.